Hi. I'm Kelly Harlock. And I'm Sasha Kelly. And you're listening to yet another episode of <laughs> That Classical Podcast. Welcome, everybody. <laughs> I like the way you say uh, yet another. <laughs> like, they just something keep going. People don't want. <laughs> um, so today we're going to talk about a couple of composers that we've always meant to and when we were looking at the list, we just realised we hadn't got around to it. So I'm really excited. Mm. Kelly, who are you starting with? Today's the day. Uh, so today we're going to talk about Luigi Boccherini, uh, first of all. And I believe it's time for a 60-second biography. Sasha, have you got your stopwatch at the ready? Oh, I certainly do. So Kelly, are you ready? I am. Are you steady? I hope so. Go. Luigi Boccherini was born in Lucca, Italy in 1743. He was part of an artsy-fartsy family and his dad taught him the cello from the age of five. He would grow up to be an absolutely incredible cellist. As a teenager, he was sent to study in Rome where he got really into polyphony, those rebellious teenagers, then ended up as a court musician in Vienna with his dad. He then went back to Lucca and played with the local church and theatre orchestras, starting, started to put his own spin on traditional quartet. He also visited Milan where apparently in 1765 he put on the first ever public string quartet performances. He moved to Paris in 1766, got tons of compositions published there, started writing loads of chamber music, then the Spanish ambassador to Paris was like, you are quite good at this and convinced Bacchus to move to Madrid to work in the court of the King, uh, King of Spain, Charles III. This is when he started writing his famous quintets. A few years passed, he got married, had a couple of kids, but sadly his wife and his boss died. So the king was like, here's some money, go find some more patrons. So he then worked for the King of Prussia, started writing vocal compositions. In 1796, he worked with publisher, composer and piano manufacturer Ignaz Playel, who published his works but kept all his money. From then, from about 1798, Paul Boccherini had a really tough time. The King of Prussia refused to keep paying him. His other patrons moved away. He started getting sick and lost several family members. He died in poverty in 1805. Wow. You, I let you go an extra two seconds. Oh, two seconds and oh, 45 wow. milliseconds. That was so... Sorry, the bit um, I picked up is that his boss and wife died at the same oh, time. Oh, like, was... Do you know... Talk about an Annus Horribilis. I know. not fun. Oh, Paul Bockers, he had such a hard time. Like, he just lost... He lost everyone, pretty much, eventually. And oh. he just... He died in poverty and he was really sad. I feel really bad for him. But, like, it's weird because his music is quite happy, actually. I know. Like, I was going to say, like, when you think of... I'm not going to, like, spoiler alert. I'm not going <laughs> to say any of them but when you listen to them they just sound like they're, they're the epitome of sunshine they really like, are yeah musical sunshine mm. for sure and like he also just loved writing mu- he wrote so much music I know that's kind of maybe normal for composers but he loved writing music specifically chamber music he wrote over a hundred quintets more than a hundred quartets 50 trios like dozens of other chamber music bits and bobs he just bloody loved what he did um, and I hope I hope it was a comfort to all Boccherini actually in in his tragic days. But um, yeah, he also wrote symphonies and concertos and stuff. And he's often compared to Haydn. Uh, and in the classical world, he's been nicknamed the wife of Haydn. Something I know, Sasha, you and I have definitely written Ooh. in hundreds of scripts in our time <laughs> back in the day. Um, yeah. But yeah. he's he's called the wife of Haydn partly, yes, because his music is like quite similar to Haydn's, who was around before him. But Bacchus is actually widely credited for improving on Haydn's previous version of the string quartet, which is super interesting. Because yeah. Bo- Boccherini was this prodigious cellist, like genuinely the best cellist in Europe at the time. Yeah. And he poured all his love into the cello lines and cello parts in his music and made them sing. He made the cello this new kind of big 
feature of chamber music whereas Haydn usually kind of shoved it into the background into the like accompaniment <laughs> role so we say that Haydn is the father of the string quartet but I think Boccherini's like the fun uncle the fun uncle <laughs> the like fun the uncle. uncle who arrives and gives you bags and bags of lollies and then he leaves and your mum's going why are you so hyper right because <laughs> uncle Bucks was here or like the uncle that takes you out for like and buys you your first shots on like oh, your 16th yeah. birthday that but that uncle. never happened to me Kelly. no me neither I never oh drank God. any alcohol <laughs> really before boring. I was 18 apart from actually I do have fun like hillbilly uncles in America but let's not talk yeah. one of them deep fried a turkey once anyway the Whoa. point is <laughs> I, I have a story before I go on not about my uncles but about mm. Boccherini when he was working in the Spanish court um, mm. he because he did for a while he was mainly working for the king's brother out there Mm. But one day, the actual king uh, expressed some like disapproval at this passage that he was writing in a new trio and ordered Boccherini to change it. But Boccherini was clearly a bit of an ass and mm. was like, this guy, like he does, he's not a musician. He doesn't know what he's talking about, even though he was literally the king of Spain. So he got really arsy about it and he doubled the length of the passage that the king didn't like and was immediately fired um and i really oh, hope that's true i've seen that written in quite a few places but i don't know whether it's actually the reason he left um madrid but anyway i think this this is definitely a classic case of like okay you may not know the name luigi boccherini and you're probably thinking like string quintets who cares kelly <laughs> um but wait but wait because okay the piece i'm starting Starting with um, you, the listener, you are definitely going to recognise from Mm -hmm. films, adverts, kids TV shows, etc. Because we're going to talk about the Minuetto or the Minuet and Trio, the third movement of his string quintet in E number six. Um, although what, fun, a catchy what, a, what a catchy title. What a catchy He clearly wrote bloody loads. Um, but although, by the way, dinner party fact, the quintet is in E major, this minuet is actually in A major, which is why you may see it written a bit differently around the internet. Ooh, fun put that fact. in my back pocket. Also, <laughs> hilarious. Thank you so much. Uh, so that's the, so snarky. <laughs> no, no, it's true. But look, on that point, this is apparently known as the celebrated minuet. Okay, but I think for most people, it's probably more like that effing minuet. I don't mm. want to hear it anymore. Uh, okay. Good, okay. good start for everyone. Oh, um, I want to hear it. He'd been writing his own special brand of quintet for about 10 or so years at this point, And he was getting really good at it. And this particular piece is, is a cello quintet. So you've got two violins, a viola and one cello. That's usually what makes up a quartet. But to make it a cello quintet, you just add a cello. <laughs> so there are two mm. cellos. Those are the five okay. instruments. And, you know, Boccherini's style is pretty much your typical kind of Rococo, Baroque, jolly and charming and light and sweet. And, oh my gosh, I just, I know you're going to recognise this. So let's just, let's just listen. going to give away my old age (laughs) but (laughs) do any of our British listeners remember the kids show Zap 
with three Zs. Because I'm sorry, Sasha, this probably will go I straight over your head. What you're but talking about, like, but hear okay. me out, hear me out. It was on CITV and it mm. always had a section with this minuet as part of it. And it was on like most days in the week. And I honestly think a whole generation of British kids who grew up with in the 90s have a deeply nostalgic connection with this piece because of that show. Because there was, yeah, in this show called Zap, there was this smarty arty section with this artist, um, Neil mm. Buchanan from Art Attack, uh, that mm. didn't speak, but made noises like, whoa, like Mr. Bean kind of noises. And he drew oh. things, brought them to life and like played with it. I'll put it on Twitter. Anyway, if you want to know how many hundreds of shows and films it's been used in, there is genuinely an IMDb page listing every single Whoa. one. Yeah, uh, and I remember it mainly from Zap and Ace Ventura too. But uh, please tell okay. me where you have heard uh, the minuet. Oh, I have a story. I have a story, Kelly. Oh my god! Yes, please go, go. No, please, please, please share. Um, so last year I did an interview um, with Tom Hanks. And this was used, this piece was used in the Lady Killers. Yes, of course. Yeah. yeah and of yeah. course, like, you know, the really catchy title. So, like, I had to, like, put together a list of all these soundtracks on these movies that he was in. And I kind of, I was like, oh, he won't talk about that. Like, that's just a random piece. Like, who knows mm. what that is? Yeah. I don't know. I just had, like, this brain <laughs> blank of just, like, oh, that one doesn't matter. And so I just left it off and I downloaded, like, all the Hans Zimmers and, you know, yeah, um, Forrest Gump and all that kind yeah. of stuff. And then we get to the interview. And I'm, I've got to preface this by saying Tom Hanks is, like, just as nice as you oh, imagine. That makes me feel so happy. Yeah. And, um, and we're going through the interview and I said – so someone else is interviewing him. I'm there producing. And um, I'd said at the beginning, like, anything you want to, like, jog your memory, like, just let me know and I'll play it for you and we can edit it out. And he's like, okay, okay. And so we're going through the interview and then he's like, they start talking about the lady killer. So they're like, oh, and that famous piece by Boccherini. In my head, I'm like, oh, <laughs> God, no, they didn't do it. Um, and then he turns to me and he's like, oh, can you, I can't remember how it goes. Can you just, like, jog my memory? What, Tom did you sing it you should have just hummed it yeah but like because I stupidly like didn't remind myself of how it went before I went I just totally I was like I don't know what this piece is so I'm like oh um I just grabbed like my phone and desperately (laughs) searched um on on a music streaming no I searched on Spotify all right um and played it and like the second like you know it's literally one of those pieces that it's playing for two seconds. Oh, and you're and like, you go, oh, God, yeah, that's that oh, one. I know, and I just <laughs> thought, oh, you're so stupid. And then um, Tom Hanks just starts singing it. And and he's like, of course, it's so catchy, blah, blah, like just is his charming. What's his singing voice like out of interest? Um, pretty twangy. Okay. It's like Woody is singing at you. You know, it's like Aww. Toy Story Woody. Oh, what a dream come is, true. Yeah, it was great. He also sang like The Launch. From what did he 13? do? All the different parts, or did he was he like, just... ba, 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 ba. It was great. It's great. Um, oh, but yeah, wow. I just felt like such a fool. And so from now on, it's haunting you. I will you. never, ever, mm. ever forget this piece of music. And, and uh, I would, I would just—it's etched on the like 
um, dark corners of my brain. And, and if anyone ever asks me again, like, oh, what does Boccherini's most famous piece sound like? I'll be like, let me tell you. Well, I feel like this should be a lesson to all of our listeners. <laughs> to, <laughs> to be prepared to and do never, your homework before never that. Work. <laughs> but also, like, don't forget about Bockers. Like, you might need yeah. this piece this someday when you meet Tom Hanks. You might yeah. need to know what this piece is. And <sighs> so uh, you're welcome. That classical podcast. Next! This one's a bit of a funny one because we're going to talk about Boccherini's other famous piece, uh, his cello concerto number nine, uh, which was one of 12 concertos that he wrote for his favourite instrument, the cello. Uh, But we're slightly cheating here because even though um, Boccherini originally obviously wrote this himself in the 1760s or 1770s, we're not quite sure, the version we know and love today was actually arranged by a chap called Friedrich Grutzmacher in 1895 it's a great name it's good yeah 1895 no less so so quite a while later absolutely so Friedrich was uh another prodigious cellist in his own Mm. time and I guess one day he fancied uh composing a romantic virtuoso concerto like that were popular at the time Mm -hmm. so he ended up taking Boccherini's original manuscript for his cello concerto number nine he Mm -hmm. threw in a sprinkle of Boccherini's previous concertos like a soupçon of Boccherini's previous sonatas and then Mm -hmm. some of his own Grutzbacher's own uh orchestration and ideas and the result was a cello concerto that may or may not bear any resemblance to Boccherini's original. Ah. Um, it sounds a bit like this whole piece sounds totally different to his string quartets because I guess he didn't really write it. Um, but it's still got that like classic Boccherini just charm, I guess, about it. Ooh, and okay. um, it's really beautiful and it's like slightly melancholy, which I enjoy, but super mm-hmm. rich. Let's just give it a go. opening of that the descending lines mm. i'm going full nerd here but <laughs> it really reminds me of um strauss's alpine symphony when there's like that Ooh. like like super slow obviously in strauss it's like super sized and has like mm. full symphony orchestra behind right. it but it's kind of like gives me a real reference point to that that like early morning sunrisey kind of oh, vibe wow you see know? I see it as much like sadder than that. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, like I, yeah, I, I get just, that. It sounds quite mournful to me, and I, I wonder. I guess if this was written, although to be honest, I don't know what on earth this is because it's not even this concerto. It's like a previous <laughs> concerto, but like depending on what was happening in in Boccherini's life, like it could have been that he was going through quite a sad time. Um, you know, because he lost so many family members and stuff mm. and obviously, like, got fired for mm. being a bit of a knobhead. Um, yeah. But, yeah, I, I just thought 
it is beautiful and um it you know it, it gets a bit more exciting later on but it's a great pick because it shows that he's got so much more depth <laughs> yeah. to him than you imagine because the the quintet is so like sunshine and lollipops and like exactly uh like you know, dancing hippos kind of yeah a exactly. bit trite like yeah. i don't want to be <laughs> yeah trite no that's it that's it because <laughs> i couldn't write body. it yeah it's like not like i could write something like that but oh well I don't know, I just thought it was a bit of a nice change. You know, he's got mm. so many bloody quintets and quartets and stuff. <laughs> and um, he did write some vocal pieces. He wrote like a Sabat Mater and um, oh. he wrote like one opera, which I didn't even attempt to listen to. And I'm really Ooh. sorry. <laughs> um, but, you know, I, I think this was just, yeah, a really special like alternative thing. <laughs> that he did well I loved it yeah it's good to learn about um, so I think if you're interested in in kind of uh, discovering more of Boccherini like his quintets are great but actually he loved the cello so much I think his cello concertos all 12 of them probably worth a listen also you know Gutzmacher probably just recycled all of them <laughs> at some point or other so uh, skipping to the end of that just listen to cello concerto number 9 and you'll probably hear most of them anyway <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, but yeah, yeah that's great. go out and, and um, have a listen to his stuff and, and let me know what you think. Did you know that Classical Podcast has a Patreon with loads of perks for you to discover? For example, we've got special Patreon-only podcasts, newsletters, playlists, lots of stuff for you to get involved. Yeah, even thoughts of the day and like things we're listening yeah. to. It's, it's really great. Uh, and of course, we have some new people to thank, some new patrons. So a huge thank you to... Justin Slayman. Megan Stella. Jody Hampton. David Austin. Matthew Eek. Ali Kanbekar. Sarah Main. Vera Wilhelmsdottir. Martin Hasler. Emma Lulu Gonzalez. Emma Byrne. Jean Perez. Molly W. Zach W. Elizabeth Greer. Christy Wilson-Gardner. And Avon Renningstadt. If you want to become a patron of that classical podcast, it's super easy. We put the link in the show notes. So just go click it and come and join. Thanks. Thanks. So I'm going to talk about Jean-Philippe Rameau. Très bien. I'm going to attempt, Kelly, I get so anxious about these, but I'm going to do a 60-second bio. So have you got a stopwatch ready? I do. Are you ready? Ah! Are you steady? (laughs) Yes. Go. Jean-Philippe Rameau was born in France in 1683. Rameau's dad was an organist who played for 42 years in different churches. He really wanted his young song Jean-Philippe to become a lawyer, but that's the equivalent of saying that I could have become an engineer, like those bridges would fall down. Basically, little Jean-Philippe was not good at spelling and grammar, so he went and pursued a musical career instead. He went to Italy, but he didn't really get any further than Milan. Then he got heaps of organ contracts in the French countryside. So then he went to Paris, but they were like, go away, you country bumpkin. So he signed this contract for 29 years to play the organ in Clermont and then settled down and wrote this massive book called Treatise on Harmony and that's still used today and he became famous and he was like why did I sign this stupid contract I want to go to Paris so he got out of his contract and he basically threw a tantrum they let him out and he went back to Paris he wrote a book of harpsichord pieces 20 seconds left. a popular teacher he married a 19 year old singer at the age of 32 mm-hmm, 42 he got this amazing contract being the head of this rich Parisian's private orchestra then he basically just Ten hung seconds. out being a composer in Paris went for a walk every day he died on the 12th of September and his last words were what the devil do you mean to sing to me priest you are out of tune Oh, <laughs> that is incredible. Love that he went for a walk every day. Um, yeah, to get that last bit in. Wow. Um, well, that is that is brutal to the priest that's trying to help it save his soul. But there we go. Um, wow. 
Wow. A 29-year contract. Oh, yeah. So this That's is... That's intense. Of, there's two things I want to talk about with Remote. Basically, right. he had... Well, they're kind of connected. So, yeah, he signed this contract in Clermont because um, he kind of got rejected in Paris and they were like, we'll have you come play the organ here. And so, yeah, he just signed it not really thinking it through. And then <laughs> while he was working there, he wrote this really famous book. Right. Um, and everyone, so after being rejected in Paris, then all of a sudden they were like, oh, this is really good. Like, come back. Okay. Um, you're famous now. And so he went to the, like, powers that be in Clermont and said, I kind of want to leave now. Like, I'm kind of famous. I'm a big deal. Hmm. I signed this before. He did a Taylor Swift where he was like, right. I signed my life away for yeah. eight albums mm-hmm. and now I'm wildly more successful than I thought I'd be. Right. So let's talk about this. Okay. Or have you watched The Last Dance on Netflix? No, I have not. Um, About the Chicago Bulls. No. And um, oh, what's his name? Michael Jordan. One of the basketballers. No, not Michael Jordan, like his second. Scotty Pippen. Scotty Pippen (laughs) signed a contract when he (laughs) signed a contract that was like wildly undervalued him and then he became the second best player at the time. Wow. And he went back and he was like, guys, like, come on. Um, And they were like, we don't negotiate. Anyway, that's what Ramo did. But then... But then what happened is to get out of his contract, he'd just, like, pull out all the stops on the organ that were really hideous. So that's not a turn of phrase. He would pull no, out no, the literal stops. pulled out the stops. <laughs> so, like, the stops on an organ, they're, like, the buttons, right? Just yeah, for anyone yeah. who doesn't like, know. Yeah, change the sound so right. they can make it, like, sound really harsh. Right, right. Um, so in the services that he was paid to play under this 29-year contract, he would pull out all the <laughs> ugly ones and like make and and like harmonize in these really ugly ways because he was a genius at harmony. And there's this quote that's Incredible. like, only Rameau could play so unpleasingly and get away from it. And then they basically were like, well, come on, like he's driving everyone away from church. He doesn't, no one wants to come. <laughs> unless he's ugly what a co- guy. Yeah. And so they were like, okay, you can get out of it. But he obviously like had his notice period. So once they'd like, released him but he was still playing he basically just did a 180 and just played the most beautiful music that they ever heard and they were all like oh like we're losing this genius what an amazing Um, battle plan i love that ramo i I think we can all learn from that when we want to leave our jobs oh that feels so real on so many levels yeah you're just absolutely right i'm gonna like throw a massive tantrum (laughs) so he did that And that kind of ties into the fact that he was just not a very, like he was quite a um, bitter person when he wanted to be. So there's, so yeah, basically on his, yeah, on his deathbed, he told the priest that he was singing out of tune because the priest was singing him a song to like send him to the next life. And also he reportedly threw a dog out a window (gasps) for barking out of tune. He sounds like a mental person. I Can know. I just and put so that point? As a new dog owner, I find that terrifying and I horrifying. Know. Isn't that awful? So you obviously just had this real, oh, like, God. what tune was it meant streak. to be barking? Like, did he have a tune in mind when he said the dog I don't, was out of tune? I don't know. I think he just was, like, Jeez. super crabby. Yeah. And then also, like, stuff like... He only had one pair of shoes and he'd go for like massive walks every day, but he Ooh, refused to buy another pair of they shoes. They are going to be stinky. Yeah, Do you know what but- I mean? That's not going <laughs> to smell good. No. Yeah. But then when he died, they found all this money because he was like 
saving every penny Mm. so that his daughter could have an amazing dowry when she decided to get married. So, like, he had these really weird things that he was, like, obviously super concerned about. But then, like, didn't have a problem killing a dog. (laughs) Like, it's just a bit weird. (laughs) Anyway, so, yeah, that's like a bit of a painting the picture of Wow, and what a picture it is. Uh, What what pieces are we going to hear today? So the first we're going to hear is the Danse du Sauvage. I can never say it. Is that how you say it? Oh, yeah, no, I wasn't laughing at that. I was just laughing at the piece that we have maligned for for many months before now. But Yeah, so... Yeah, it's it's. I think you'll recognize it. It's not quite as famous as Boccherini's quintet, but it's definitely something that I think is played when people think of Rameau. This is probably the piece of music that you think of. Um, mm. He was quite a famous opera composer. Like he was mm. uh, renowned for his work on the harpsichord, but really he became known as like one of the leaders of French opera. And this one is from an opera that's called The Amorous Indies. That's what it translates as. And it doesn't have a story. It's three separate stories. That sounds great. <laughs> I mean, come to the opera, sit there for three hours. Oh, There's God, no storyline, no. just hang out. Thanks. Um, but basically it's like, three different faraway lands Mm -hmm. being told so it's act one act two act three they're three separate stories so this one is from the third part and it's basically about it it takes place in north america which must have seemed like a completely different world i'm sure it did these people in still Paris. does <laughs> yeah <laughs> and it's a love try and so the story of this act is that it's a love triangle between a frenchman and a spaniard competing Ooh. for the attentions of an indigenous native american woman wow who then rejects both of them Classic. and runs away with um a native american warrior excellent yeah which i think is really cool yeah so why don't we hear a bit of it let's do it It's speedy. It's, yeah. It's speedy. I always think of this as like 1700s headbanging. Like it's their dubstep, <laughs> right? Yeah. Because it's just got that real like um, chugging bass line the whole time. Do you think they were headbanging in the stalls when they went to see that opera? Maybe. Or oh, there's also like um, Rameau hated listening to his own music and he used to like Great. lie on the floor and... <laughs> When um, in his box, like when people, oh god, his performances were on, and if you interrupted him or you came to be like, "Wow, well he'd done," throw he'd your dog out the finger, give you, and he'd be like, and he'd hold his hand up and be like, "Piss off," basically. This man <laughs> is a bit. I I don't want to use a horrible word, but he's one yeah, of those words for sure. Yeah. But also um, kind of cool. I don't know. I haven't decided yet. I'm. Yeah. Mi- he kind of reminds me of um, Rick from Rick and Morty. If anyone watches <laughs> that, he's just Grandpa Rick, but as a composer, essentially. he's got a he's got a dif- a distinct vibe about yeah, it. Definitely. But um, also, why I picked this piece is because, and I'll put this in the show notes or on Twitter. The Opera Paris did 
a production recently where they kind of do do this like break dance kind of routine to this music and it's really cool it's great and I think it's a really great way of like dance contemporary dance um bringing like an older tradition to life so I think whenever I hear this I think of that particular routine Mm, yeah um yeah I just think it's really creative so that's that awesome Classical podcast. So, another piece by Romo. Um, this is Cinquième Concert La Coupie. Wow. Um, it's from a larger group of um, pieces that he wrote. I think this is the last kind of set. Okay. So, and they're all chamber music. And this is the only chamber music Romo wrote in his like mature years. So, like when he was a fully fledged Ooh. composer. Okay. And the idea was that it's like for harpsichord and two other voices. And it could be like flute or viola da gamba or, mm. you know, it was interchangeable. Do you want to tell us what a viola da gamba is? Yeah. It's, um, <laughs> Yeah, that sounded so convincing, didn't yeah. it? Um, it's kind of from a family of instruments. If you Google it, it looks kind of like a small cello. It's weird yeah. to look at. But it's a vial, right, also? Is yeah, the other it's name a vial. It. Yeah. yeah, and it sits between your legs like a cello, but also like the player doesn't have a stick. They kind of grip it between their legs. <laughs> so I think it's just like, I mean, you know, maybe string players out there can help correct me because I don't know enough about the history of stringed instruments. But I think it's like an early iteration of like the modern stringed instruments we have today. Yeah. And it is like if you see one played in a contemporary context, it's usually in a historically informed performance like a hip or an early music group. So it looks to me like a early version of the cello. Yeah, basically. that's what I would say. Yeah. Nice. But it has like a different sound vibe so um yeah this piece is like written for what I'd imagine in my mind like a soprano or a higher voice a middle voice like being an alto voice being the viola da gamba right. or the viol, and then the harpsichord being like the continuo so with all that being said that this is chamber music and this is one of his only I'm actually gonna play a piano arrangement of it Mm -hmm. so it has been reduced from the original three voices down into one but I'll put an original performance up on the Spotify playlist as well just so that you have a reference point when you're listening to it um and La Coupice, if you're wondering where that comes from, it's actually Marie-Anne Coupice who was just a friend of his she was a dancer they think that her nephew was born around the time that this was written and he mm. wrote it and dedicated it to her as like a little celebration. So, think, so he was capable of being like quite nice. He's right. This is the, this is definitely, he's just Rick from Rick and Morty. That's exactly yeah, what I'm seeing it's him just, as. Just a really bizarre human being. Capable of, go. capable of love and sweet things, but he will throw your dog out the window and give you the finger. That's yeah. just the kind of guy he was. Yeah, it was just like, which Jean-Philippe will we get today? Who knows? Who knows? Yeah, let's have a listen.
just think that that's so different to mm. the dancehall sauvages that we hear, <laughs> yeah. like, which is just so Chalk like and churny. And, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I think it's really nice to hear that he, dare I say, you know, this period of music, people can be like, oh, Baroque music sounds the same. Um, <laughs> but this is an example of how like the one composer just wrote such like a style that's just so diverse within yeah. his own oh, kind of like Boccherini one might say like, yeah his funny, uh, contemporary yeah uh, what did you think Kelly I thought that was lovely I thought that was really it gave me a moment of stillness I would say mm. um but that's partly because Vicky Rolfson is really great oh, um such a gem. but no I I love that and I love that sort of distilled version it's it's really gorgeous yeah, yeah. I've never heard that before so yeah super nice yeah, so that's Rameau, uh, Jean-Philippe Rameau. And if you want to hear more about him, we did do a, one of his pieces in our special isolation pods, which mm-hmm. are available on Patreon. So mm-hmm. if you are interested in becoming a supporter of that classical podcast, then go along there and or follow our links in the show notes below and you'll get to hear more of us. That classical podcast. So that was our episode on Boccherini and Aramo, two Baroque greats. Uh, We really Mm -hmm. hope you enjoyed it. If you want us to cover any alternative uh, Baroque composers, let us know. And Sasha, where can they reach us? That classical email at gmail.com is our email address and that comes straight to us. Or on all the regular socials, so Instagram, Facebook or Twitter, uh, we're at that classical. So do make sure that you get in touch and I just want to say Mm. a huge thank you from both of us Mm. to everyone who listened to our please help us with reviews because (laughs) you guys got out there and did it and it made such a difference so a huge virtual round of applause from the two of us. A big hand. Yes if we could sound (laughs) like a hundred thousand people we would but um, (laughs) no we really appreciate it and it may it was really touching that so many of you did it so thank you. Thank you so much and if you want to hear as I mentioned earlier if you want to hear any of the music we featured in this episode or previous episodes just head to our Spotify playlists we are just just type in that classical podcast and we'll definitely come up and if you can't remember any of that we put it in the show notes so <laughs> yeah. have a look just below <laughs> and be all the hyperlinks will be there exactly and uh, otherwise we'll see you next time bye bye, bye.